Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylic paints, mediums, and gesso in the business. They also make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints. Based in New Berlin in upstate New York, they're an employee-owned company dedicated to making the best supplies for you to make your best work. Check out their products in just about any art store or at goldenpaints.com. Salman Tor is an artist born in Lahore, Pakistan, and who lives and works in New York City. In 2009, he received his Master's of Fine Arts from the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, and in 2006, he earned his BFA in Painting and Drawing with Honors at Ohio Wesleyan University in Delaware, Ohio. He's had solo shows at Icon Gallery in New York, at Honey Ramka in New York, at Canvas Gallery in Karachi, the Rotas II Gallery in Lahore, and the Cultural Center at Kahlo Gallery at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. He's been included in group exhibitions from the Lahore Biennial in 2018 to the Kochi Moziris Biennial in Kochi, Cinephiliac Art Transcending Technology in Motion at 12 Gates Art Gallery in Philadelphia, Return of the Native in Rojas II Gallery in Lahore, Stop, Play, Pause, Repeat at Laurie Shabibi Gallery in Dubai, the Drawing Room Gallery in Lahore, the Halvai Gallery in New York, Montclair University MFA Gallery in New Jersey, Steuben Gallery in Brooklyn, and Lumen House Gallery in Brooklyn. His work has been covered in Hyperallergic, L'Officiel, Cultured Magazine, Freeze Magazine, The Friday Times in Pakistan, and Review in the News Pakistan, amongst many others. Salman stopped by the studio on a cold Friday morning. Here's our conversation. It's really minimal, and it's so repetitive. Oh, wow. That sounds like a great punishment. I mean, in a, in a great way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's so good for working because yeah. it's just like right. over and right. over again. Right. So I'll put out like a, a playlist on that like loops. And oh, I feel wow. like when I'm doing really tedious things, yeah. it's, it's really good for that. I'm definitely going to try it. Although <laughs> I, I'm guessing with your paintings, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a lot of tedium. No, no. It feels I mean, like it's, a lot it's, of a like, convention everywhere. Oh, that's that's absolutely true. I was I was thinking about that myself the other day. But yeah, it's because I'm working on something large right now, and as opposed to smaller paintings, I've just you know I had to articulate that to myself that I do have to because I'm not looking at any imagery. There's no photograph. Or, yeah. So every and I need every part of the surface to be interesting to me, and right. so I have to reinvent everything until it becomes interesting. That's the so attention. There's a lot you were of about. like rubbing yeah. away and then reworking, or then working on top of something, right? Until it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I really guard against in my own painting is to like have vast dead surfaces because mm-hmm. like the paint is so as a material is so alive on the surface and I just want it to be animated and right. most like have at least three points of like maximum animation. That's like the, the rule of thirds. Yeah. Of like a I painting. Like odd numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, you're not, you, it, there's, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of the painting that you're sort of plugging in information. You know what I mean? Just to, to get it to a certain point, it feels, I mean, that's just mm-hmm. totally based on looking. Right. But it feels like this, kind of simultaneous exploration that's building up at the same time. You know, some people do the underpainting and then there's certain areas that they're just kind of like filling in right. and then they add to that or whatever. Right. But if yours feels so, there's like a fluidity and a, and a looseness, but uh, uh, the buildup feels like it's organically across the service right, simultaneously, which um, probably makes for, that's probably why podcasts are difficult in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how do you invent yeah. whenever you're like understanding at the same time or taking in, you know? So um, I got sort of trained myself in a kind of academic sort of painting. So when I came 
around the time I graduated from Pratt in 2009, I was still wanted to, you know, be like a very kind of loserish painter who wanted to be like Rubens and Van Dyck. And like, mm-hmm. I just wanted like to have like, you know, 17th century costumes and candlelight all around me and like just, <laughs> you know, be have like that kind of like faux sort of like Baroque gravitas. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's completely insane. And romantic. Uh, it's a romantic. Yeah, it's yeah. a romantic and childish idea now. But like at the time... <laughs> So I, you know, taught myself how to do underpainting and like prepare surfaces and like also have them finished in that kind of um, old master painting sort of way in which like everything is under this like lake of like gleaming varnish and it's very kind of... You were doing like Damar and all that? Yeah, I was just obsessed with that Linseed oils yeah. and grisailles and yeah. dead palette. You were yeah. doing all that. Yeah. It's a wormhole. I mean, you can... Yeah, you can live your whole life It's a beautiful like process. That. Yeah, it's a beautiful process. Yeah. But and, um, I got tired of it at some yeah. point because um, there was just a lot of intermediary stuff between me and the painting. Yeah. Like, I felt like I needed, like, a fluffer to, like, <laughs> to, like get me in the place where I could finally, like, lay down a mark because right. I needed images, I needed models, I needed, like, mood, I needed music. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lot. So yeah, I was just I got so tired of it that one time after I had a show, I was like, I just want to paint some rubbish, like like some good, like cute uh, pictures for my apartment. Yeah, and I want them to be like, like just something completely imaginary and something like something that I think about and that maybe looks like a picture out of a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. And so I did a bunch of those, and they were. They were really satisfying to me. And they're very silly and um, not deep, in quotation marks. Right. And um, <laughs> But, you know, I was very, very happy with them. They were embarrassing. I didn't show them to anyone. Uh, I didn't put them up in my house. But I kept making more of them. I kept getting better at them. I started collecting them in my studio. So in a year, I had about 30 of them. And you enjoyed them? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed them, but, like, I, you know... Um, in the first few months, I didn't show them to anyone because yeah. it, like, that kind of like directness felt to my way of thinking at the time like almost like cheating or sacrilege. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it didn't, was. I it just didn't realized that it was okay to do that. Like, and and um, it, you know, it was kind of by way of my thinking that it was a kind of transgression mm-hmm. that I began to enjoy it and accept it, and right. um, and also. Because I realized that I didn't need a lot of the things that I thought I needed to make images. Yeah. Um, like the technical um, ordeals of like making like a 17th century painting or um, or having pictures to like, you know, show me what I, I felt like I knew already. Right. And so what was new to me when I did those images was that it was what I knew rather than what I was looking at. And so there was no need to edit them as much because nothing that I didn't know was in the image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yeah. already completely filtered. And so everything in the painting and the picture, objects, people, whatever, it was just very essential and that was it. Um, was the hesitancy more about the maybe like you weren't showing the traditional chops as much? Or was it more of just the look of it? Or was it the feeling of painting that way? It was the feeling, yeah. um, because it was, I have a lot of ideas, mm-hmm. and, you know, the way that I was painting before, like, maybe 2012, 13, it was, it, I could maybe do, like, 20 paintings a year, at the most, Yeah. and I, I felt like so many ideas were just, like, you know, putrefying in my brain, yeah. and I just didn't have enough time, and um, so, in this way, I felt like I was able to create a world, um, by making numbers and numbers of um, paintings, yeah, um, and um, and to for my for me to like inhabit that world was easier, um, and um, also like the element of chance and like you know the things that I would do on a on a canvas that would surprise me, yeah. like that I didn't know that I could do that, or like something that something completely new, um, that was great. Yeah, you don't yeah. have much improvisational room to explore when you're using a method as yeah. sort of layered yeah. and systemic as, mm. you know, like that kind of old-time painting. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so you felt liberated by doing, by making that shift. Mm-hmm. Was that something that, so like current work grew out of that movement between those two ways of working? For sure. Yeah. Um, I experimented with other things too. I wanted to just kick out as hard as possible from my previous practice. And so I um, experimented with text mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and that worked for a little while, but I felt like the true issues that were more close to my way of thinking were still, I was ignoring them. Um, and um, I think once I started making completely autobiographical, well, actually, I, I shouldn't say completely, but like somewhat autobiographical yeah. stuff that it's sort of like, yeah, I was comfortable with the painting being about my own experience rather than taking on concepts or like themes that I thought were bigger, like language or like oh, cultural differences. Yeah, I felt like if I chose what I thought was a, like a simpler or dumber way of doing things, it was actually better for me because it just came more naturally yeah. um, without much thought. And, right. you know, that begins without much thought, but it ended up always in a place where it was more meaningful to me. Right. The irony of that, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes the more you plan, right, the more you crush the, you know, the event in a way, yeah. you know, spontaneity has, you know, a certain value. Well, let's go back to when you're, when you first started drawing and I imagine mm-hmm. that's as a kid. I mean, were you always yeah. inclined to, to sketch or draw or totally. make pictures? <laughs> totally. And where did that come from? Um, I think I, well, because I was kind of like a, you know, a really sensitive effeminate boy when growing up and so I you know like and everyone like I think boys my age were quite different and so I didn't have a lot of friends Mm -hmm. and I was obsessed with drawing uh, beautiful women (laughs) all the time with long hair Uh Uh, and so my parents would encourage me to make like they would say why don't you make like fighter jets or like try like you know sports cars or buses (laughs) like (laughs) or like guns right (laughs) So, um, I remember that I drew a bus. And I think that my mother has that drawing somewhere still. Bus drawing. It was a bus with, like, this lady's head sticking out of the window. And she had, like, long hair that was, like, trailing in the wake of, yeah. the, like, the bus's, like, speed. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it was, like, a, a constant kind of conversation and a companion. Yeah. Uh, so, I wouldn't say that. I was ever a painter when I was uh, a young kid. Right. But I definitely came out of, everything came out of drawing for me. Did it feel like an escape from from just day to day? I oh, feel like for so sure. many kids Complete do, you escape. Know, like I like, used to give voice to like characters that I would make. <laughs> yeah. Like once or twice as a kid, I remember like I found that my father was standing behind me and like listening to my <laughs> to my like private like character conversation as I was drawing uh, the I narration remember, like that was like with one of the first times that I was like deeply embarrassed uh, yeah like, <laughs> like, oh, you heard as that? a kid <laughs> I was so angry that he was just standing behind me and kind of giggling and laughing and like <laughs> <laughs> did you have brothers or sisters yeah I'm the oldest um, oh, the so oldest? I have younger um a sister and a brother uh-huh so, but you were the focus at the beginning, for sure. Yeah. Like, the first child always gets all the, yeah, the kind of, so I did get pressure, of pressure, I think, right? I did get a lot of uh, love and some pressure because I think I was a freak very early on. Mm-hmm. So, my parents <laughs> were pretty, like, you know, I think that they thought maybe, like, the job as, like, a plastic surgeon who made everyone beautiful or, like, an architect or, like, that would be, like, a stable thing for me. Right. And, the responsible, know. like what, what can they do that's going to earn money? Yeah, but still align with their sensibilities. Right, parents are so responsible. That <laughs> so you know, and an architecture is also you know it's a manly job. So, right, um, or, or, you know, or at least it used to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, so by the time I went to college, you know, they were okay with me. Um kind of choosing to take a path solely in, the, in picture making and in art history. 
Yeah. Um, I had a lot of bohemian cousins growing up. Mm -hmm. So they were sort of like my allies. Yeah. They're supportive. Yeah. They were very supportive and they would like talk to my parents and they would say, well, let him do what he wants to. And you just, just like, just don't get in his way. Yeah. (laughs) Just like support him. Well, thank goodness for those people, right? Yeah. In your life. Otherwise, it's like you versus the world, you know? Yeah. So, like, a lot of them are teachers in, like, art schools in, in Karachi, in yeah. Lahore, in Pakistan. And, um, and they have, you know, they're also, like, printmakers and painters. And so yeah. they sort of, like, understood what was going on with me early on. <laughs> were, you, um, were you always interested in music? Like, um, was it around and we, you know, I was interested in different kinds of music at different times of my life. So like, uh, when, before moving to the States, I think I was only very familiar with the very mainstream, you know, like Western music, mm-hmm. but I was very, uh, I was influenced by Bollywood yeah. a lot more because I was available and there was a small like film industry in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I moved to the States, I, um, Went straight to Ohio yeah. <laughs> from Lahore. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> because it gave me, the university gave me a scholarship. And so yeah. that was like the, you know, the, the ideal choice. Yeah. Uh, and so I went straight to the cornfields. And uh, where is it? Which was it? It's in a small town. Uh, the university is called Ohio Wesleyan. Wesleyan, yeah. Uh, and um, it was in a small town called Delaware with a, a gas station. And, um, what's the closest, cause I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I'm not far from, we used to go to right, Cleveland so and Cincinnati for shows and I've, stuff. Cincinnati has a great museum. I went there when yeah. I was in Ohio and it's the, the Delaware is Ohio, Ohio is close to, it's like 40 minutes from Columbus. Okay. Um, and, um, so for the first year I was just in shock because I was going to say, how's the transition? I, I think I was just speechless. It wasn't like I felt anything, um, <laughs> I yeah, I just felt lost completely. Yeah. Um, and then um, there were different like living units um, outside the dorm system. In the school, there was like a creative arts house and then there was like a hippie commune. Mm-hmm. And so I moved into the hippie commune. <laughs> and so um, like it was like a lot of like trucker music and that sort of thing and um, a lot of tambourines and like nudity. And like, so I was like... That was a good entrance for me into yeah. American culture because it was gentle. <laughs> you know, it could be silly at times, but like... Open, welcoming. Open, yeah. welcoming, and, you know, like it's with its own very kind of like threadbare sense of beauty, yeah. which was I was familiar with. Um, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess speaking of music, it was very like Grateful Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Um and, you know, in college, in those years, I got introduced to, like, glam rock. Uh, you know, I had made more American friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was through their tastes that, like, my tastes expanded. Yeah. Um, Did you go, you to, went, you got a scholarship. Did you go for art at first, or was it just liberal arts? Or? It was a liberal, it is a liberal arts school, but yeah. I got a BFA. So, but you, and you came in as a BFA. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you can oh. just go to school and you find the art program right. or so, some you go in directly into it. Right. So I think at that time it was 2002 yeah. and it was right after 9-11. And, um, and I think the college required me to declare a major mm-hmm. in my sophomore year. Yeah. So I mean, I, that's a that's a charged atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, but it, it, it was, but like I did not have an experience of the U.S. before that. So it yeah. really is my, my only experience is post 9 11. Right. Yeah. And um, like I said, I think it was weirdly like I needed something to latch on to, but and the sense of like it was a Methodist school mm-hmm. and it, you know, the, the neighborhood was pretty Christian. And I think the sense of like the warm sense of like Midwestern like family values actually mm-hmm. made me feel like. Safer, comforted. Yeah, 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 it was comforting. Yeah, um, and um, you know, if I, I think I was just too ignorant to really understand at the time, like if if I experienced any like, you know, any like negative things of the culture. Um, right. But my overall experience was actually very very good. Yeah. So I didn't. I it wasn't like a. My only, my hard, my hard, the hard time was like figuring out 
what was happening in the first year. Like I just didn't, I was in shock. I just, I was like, wow, this is American culture. I had no idea. I mean, I grew up, you know, watching Disney and like, um, maybe like, you know, Back to the Future, Labyrinth, you know. The classics. (laughs) The classics. Um, And, you know, I had a very narrow idea of um, the the values, like the varied values and like a country, a country is such a big place that has all kinds of places and people. And, you know, so across the world, there is a very, um, the consumerist culture of America has a very like, pervasive and a singular image right. and it's uh, it was different yeah it was, it's more complex and that's yeah. the thing that you know i'm always shocked at just how different like the coasts are from the center because oh, yeah. i used to be in a band that would go on tour and when you see the country mm-hmm. that way where mm-hmm. you're stopping in city after city mm-hmm. and then during the day you're stopping at rest stops and like little diners and stuff like it's so different everywhere like just the Midwest versus, you know, the Southwest or something. Right. Totally different cultures and kind of vibe of people. And then you'll be outside of a city and go to diners and it's this, like a weird vibe. And then you go <laughs> to the city and it's super liberal and like people are really like laid back. You know what I mean? It's it's such a complex. It is. I love the city culture in, yeah. um, in the U.S. I mean, I guess that's... <laughs> you I would expect that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But, uh, you know, it's just such a great um, emblem of, like, the, the kind of freedoms that can be enjoyed yeah. uh, in, a, in a safe place in the world. Right. It's, it's great. I, I absolutely love that. I uh, Also because I have an ongoing relationship with my community of origin, like, I also... I feel like I don't take it for granted. I really, um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, this, I mean, in the city, it's occasionally you. I get the bug of like, oh, it'd be so nice to move upstate or move out of the city, mm-hmm. have a big studio, you know, just take a rest from the hustle and bustle <laughs> mm-hmm. of it all. But the diversity, the food, the the culture, the music, that are you know, it's just so too lonely. I would be so else. bored, you yeah. know. But I don't know, maybe I'll get old enough to where the boredom seems fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where I could just get tired of people. I'm just like, you know what? I just need to get I out. think the farthest I, I can move is like inward or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great because coming yeah. from the entry point of a hippie commune yeah. in, in <laughs> yeah. sort of then, out there Ohio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you've experienced. It would be great to have my like, Ohio friends come back and visit me in inward. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Build a new... Inwood community. <laughs> so, well, but the undergrad experience, was it good for your artwork? And did you have good teachers? And how was the, the sort of BFA program there? So um, that was when, like, my brain opened up to Western art history. I, had, mm-hmm. You know, I still remember my art history 101 class. And it was just, I was just electrified. I just wanted to, like, take it in like a sponge. Um, mm-hmm. There was just so much to learn was it one of those broad surveys of like Renaissance to contemporary? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, right. so like you know, one hundred and one is like a yeah an overarching uh, broad survey, and uh, and then you know later on I did like special classes as well. But yeah. like, um, I went through different periods of the, of, of obsession with different parts of European history of painting and sculpture, mm-hmm. and you know began I think with just like the I think with like the kind of classic Renaissance, like Michelangelo sort of stuff, and then moved on to the Baroque, and then the 18th century, and then like, um, and at you know at those times I wanted to, to teach myself to paint like those artists, mm-hmm. and so I, I began doing that in the studio. Now, um, did you have the kind of professors at that school that were that were teaching you kind of like okay, well, you know, this is the grisaille. And then this is how to glaze with varnishes and all that? So, yeah. So I had um, um, one of the professors, the studio professors, was very traditional. Like, they wanted to put us through. And I also was interested in telling him what I wanted to learn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, he would, like, make out, like, in his classes, like, he would arrange it so that we would, like, if someone wanted to do, like, um, you know, like, create, like, a surface, like, extremely, uh, the extremely fine surface of, mm-hmm. like, these, like, the wooden panels from renaissance and then like paint on on them with like grisaille and then layers and then he would teach that and well um, that's that's good i mean because to be honest and 
in art schools, there's not always these days, you know, yeah. painters who can teach like really kind of like classical techniques like that, you know. I think because it wasn't in a big city on the coast, right. people were just like laid back. Like I think a lot of people wanted to um, paint beautiful pictures. Yeah, a little more traditional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like approach to it. Uh, so, so that's a good foundation. Yeah, that was a good foundation. It, Pratt wasn't like that, you know. Yeah. I had to fight for, you know, I was pretty stubborn. I, But I was good enough so they didn't really discourage me right. from doing what I was doing. But at the same time, I think I would have learned a lot more at Brad if I went now rather right. than then yeah, yeah. because I was just so closed up. Like, I think the best thing that I got from there was my friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it, your experience in a place like that is totally contingent upon how, I think, how flexible you are, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was in grad school, between the first and second year, they had a couple of students who were able to sort of sit in on the acceptance process process and you would help set up the slides and you would he- you'd be in the room when they were choosing people and one of the things I remember is them saying well we don't want we're not interested in this potential student because they just seem like they know what they're doing they're closed off like they don't want to budge right you know and that's right. not necessarily a good learning right. candidate if yeah. like it's just like this is what I do right. and I'm just coming here to, to like, like do more of it right and I don't want to hear anything else you exactly know? which it's hard because sometimes you're at that point you're charging through and you really want to hone like what you're doing but but it can be difficult if you have professors who are like not interested in that at all yeah. you know um you know there were um the other thing that I gained from there was that I could see you know my friends you know working in different um materials and different yeah. you know ways of thinking and um so I learned a lot from looking at how other people like what their studio practices were like and um just exposure right yeah and going out i imagine you're going to galleries and stuff. i mean you're in new york oh yeah so you're just seeing stuff yeah all so this a lot new to stuff. absorb um and um i think and then uh, you know there was a period of great i think opening and progress for me when i was sharing studios after Pratt mm-hmm. with my friends in the bogart building yeah um and they actually ended up opening a gallery there called the Honey Ramka right. space. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so the sense of community was so important because like right straight out of school, I just, I mean, I haven't felt that in a while, thank God, but mm-hmm. I remember the extreme anxiety of thinking right. what is going on with my life. Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> and, um, yeah, that hits you hard, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, okay, but, now and what? Then, yeah. And then I also like, you know, I would just like have to make myself okay with, it's like, okay, well, I just have to be okay with doing this for the rest of my life. And as long as that's true, then I can be, then I don't have to go through these like panic attacks. Right. Um, and I'm glad that because I had a community, I was, I could feel okay. It's like, okay, fine. I'm happy. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, this is enough. <laughs> right. I'm not, and you're not stranded on an island either. Yeah. You know, like you made a decision to just separate yeah. you from everyone and you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> but if there's a building full of people who are all thinking kind of like, what are we doing? You know, but there's yeah. a collective kind of consciousness there that pushes you, you know? Yeah. I mean, as long as you make work that maybe like satisfies, well, at, at, that satisfied me um and you know or and i could talk about it with my friends and we were painting together and you know a lot of the times the problems are so similar that you're going through um um that really helps definitely yeah you know when students ask like oh that question always comes up of do i have to move to a big city to be able to like do this Mm -hmm. you know and the answer is no, you can do it anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, does it facilitate studio visits and all that? Yeah. But that community part of it, I think, is big because mm-hmm. it's much easier to slow down or disengage or to lose steam in a way if there's no one around to talk to or yeah. to do that, you mm-hmm. know. And here you've got like kind of, you can almost accidentally have community. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. This yeah. is like people knock on your door and be like, hey, you know. So it's, I, th- I think that's harder to happen when you're off the grid in a way you can do it but you just have to have that temperament oh for sure and not be the kind of person that's gonna be like oh my god what am i doing <laughs> with my life you that's know? what i like about the city is just so active it's never at rest and yeah. um <laughs> so you just have to be on all the time yeah. um and you know that can get on my nerves after like six months 
but it, it can uh, be exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's great. Yeah. Um, it keeps my mind alive. Um, I live in the East Village, so like there's a lot of different kinds of communities there. Yeah. Um, and um, I. In New York, like the kind of like the very basic romance of like the drama of like a Sikh like taxi driver mm-hmm. next to like who's driving like this kind of like you know queer fashionista home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I just <laughs> I just love that combination. Yeah. I, I it still really fascinates me, uh, and I don't really get tired of it. Yeah, <laughs> which is why I like being here. <laughs> Everything goes, you know. Yeah, pretty much, and it's I feel like. There's two kinds of people in the world. Mm. People who feel like that kind of anything goes is like mm. a utopia. Right. You know, and mm. then there's other people who are closed off or, you know, and they feel like that is scary and that's hell. You know what I mean? It's a kind of like a fruition of one type of American dream in which like the trade is so paramount and it's so fast that yeah. it's very hard to care about anything else. Right. Um, and... For the West, I think trade has always been a solution for everything, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Definitely. And this as like a port city is like that's it's a, it is a kind of visionary place. Totally. And when you get people who feel who reflect on New York, a mm. place like New York, and say, "Well, the people are kind of rude, or mm. they're not very considerate," or whatever. Right. I I see that more as everyone's just so busy and got their own thing going yeah. that it, you can't spend all your time accommodating every (laughs) single nuance or situation. So yeah, yeah, people just kind of, you know, just move on or, you know, it's in a way it's almost like, I don't know. There's a beauty to it in a way, you know, Um, it would be like animals, like moving around like ants and bugs and stuff and they bump (laughs) into each other and they don't really, but they're, they're all doing their thing and they sort of coexist, but you know, yeah, it's not all wine and roses, but, you know, the fact that they're, that everyone's here doing all these different things and it's just like, people are like fine with it, you know? Yeah. It's just an exciting place. Yeah. Um, and, um, not that I've lived ever in London or Paris, but like other centers of the Western world, like you know, <laughs> some of my friends who have lived there, they're just like, I would rather live in New York, you know, yeah. uh, than those places. And uh, I mean, in my imagination, those places are just so much more romantic. Right. Well, um, there's more history too. Yeah. Right. New York's so young in a way. Yeah. Um, it is young. It's 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 speedier. I think uh, from an ethnically diverse background, there's also like just more opportunities here for people mm-hmm. than yeah. there are for, uh, for people in of of color, immigrants in London and Paris. Yeah, it's um, a total different vibe in Europe. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, and that's another reason why um, this is such a great place. Now I'd imagine ever since you know graduating from Pratt and mm. you know that you've used the city that that energy those communities and mm. stuff has become a big part of your work right oh for sure um a lot of my uh, friends are you know friends that I made in Pratt also friends who um I went to high school with in Pakistan who are also artists who also live in the East Village yeah small world <laughs> so, yeah very small right and um so the kind of everyday dramas that are my basic concern I try to I try to work only with those rather than going for what I think of as like larger themes or whatever in painting and um, so that's sort of like maybe you know I'm concerned with fashion Mm -hmm. you know I like I like painting different kinds of clothes it's almost like fashion illustration so I'll do different textures and what I think of as different cuts and um, different layers and articles of clothing um, and that is kind of related to the way that I admire um, European paintings that um, have like fashion as a huge part of them like different once again like plumes and and, mm-hmm. um, and different kinds of satins and, and velvets and um, it's, there's a kind of um, yumminess and a kind of um, feeling of weirdly like of safety and mm-hmm. domesticity um, in the paintings and that I like to work with. Um, I think I also think of like the paintings as kind of like, because they have so many little domestic spaces in them, like the ones that I have and my friends have in East Village, they're sort of like safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though it's a, it's a relatively like it's a safe city, but like I think I also grew up in a culture that was pretty um, conservative. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I'm still att- attached to the idea of safe spaces. And I think may- maybe other people are as well, people who even grew up in the States. Yeah. Um, and in spaces in which like expression is like you know, completely safe to express everything. Right. Um, and um, so, and I like that combination of the kind of flouncy, um, frilly, feminine domesticity, like coupled with like hairy brown bodies, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, and um, and an idea of like. And the idea of maybe the glamour of effeminate men, mm-hmm. um, you know, together, happy in, in, in groups of, of circles of friendships. I think that's one of the things that really drives me, um, apart from, like, the idea of ecstasy in the paintings is, like, queer friendship, mm-hmm. um, I think, and, like, communities of support that are really valuable because I think growing up my friendships were possibly the most valuable thing to me yeah. um, because I early on in high school like I found friends who I understood and I felt understood completely by them mm-hmm. and we were all artists all queer and um, so I think that's that's a that's a really important thing that I like to think about often when I'm painting yeah yeah I think those relationships that you're talking about of like bringing it to more personal in lieu of like those larger issues, but those really do address those larger issues in a kind of (laughs) micro macro way. Well, one of the things that, you know, I mean, I was drawn to your work in general, Mm. but I've mentioned it like on the podcast before I took an art history class in undergraduate school on Dejeuner Solaire, like Mm -hmm. the whole class was on that one painting Mm -hmm. and, but it was about Manet and, you know, and how that, I was obsessed with that be, painting too. Yeah, I mean, just every the all the references, yeah. you know, and it was it was so kind of like enriching to learn to take like a deep cut like that and just really understand like all the different idiosyncrasies of that painting and how he how he was his friendship with Baudelaire, you know, or like all these layers, you know, right? And um, and your references to that kind of work. Manet is such a, I mean, I look at a lot of Manet and, and Velasquez and, mm-hmm. you know, Velasquez was sort of like discovered by Manet and then right. like served to the world. But, um, you know, and and um, Manet is one of the few artists about whom I think um, Peter Sheldahl <laughs> has said, I love him. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's very, he used the L word. Yeah, he used the <laughs> L word. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can totally understand that. No, I like love that Manet, He's yeah. an artist you can say that about, yeah. you know. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was, I had a total obsession with that painting as well. And um, his way of painting is, can be at times a little bit irritating for me, mm-hmm. but most, most of the times uh, it's, it's so inspiring. And um, like most, I think, great painters, I think there's something really miraculous about the images that he makes. Like they just like sort of sprung into being, like it was completely effortless mm-hmm. and, um, and um, that's something that I strive toward. Yeah, and he's and also the, it's difficult when you're removed from the time, the situation, or whatever. But the social touchstones of that work, or like the, the you know the the kind of content that was buried in Olympia, you know, oh, that, right. that I think was probably more obvious and shocking when you were seeing that at the time. Oh yeah, of course. But in retrospect, you know, like looking back at it, you you know something's he's tweaking something, but it's not as. Uh, easy to sort of fully understand it but he you know he's housing those ideas within a context that fits into sort of you know more traditional idea or construct of painting but he's doing it as this kind of fluid celebration of the medium but like a more direct rawness that I think I'm imagining if I could see your very early work Mm -hmm. that your sort of you know, bridge between that work and how you were able to loosen it up and be more direct and it was becoming more sort of like about the authorship and less about the process. Do you know what I mean? Like that there's a similar kind of resonance there between... I'm just comparing you to Manet. Yeah, oh, thank you so much. I love that. (laughs) What a great comparison. But yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it would have been shocking to see those things at the time because I think the focus was kind of shifting to the artist's own kind of bohemian uh, life, studio life, yeah. and artists started painting, you know, how, how they thought 
in the studio about great works of art, which wasn't in a formal way, and that included the identities maybe of the models. Yeah. And um, and their relationship with the models, which was sometimes like you know it was romantic or sexual, or, right. or they were friends, and like they had all kinds of like um, relationships that are like way you know outside the mainstream or tradition. Mm-hmm. And um, it's that is somewhat related to the kind of movements that are happening, and even though you know like there's gay marriage <laughs> yeah. in in our state, um, but. Um, that the conversation about the relationships that were conducted before this like sweeping acceptance um, across Western Europe and North America Mm -hmm. um, to talk about those things and to to kind of discover what the mechanics of those relationships are and why you know why what is the gel that keeps them together and why is it that it's threatening or strange to uh, the very traditional values of family and and, and marriage, right? And yeah. painting and it resonates painting. with like the history of painting. You know? Oh, right, exactly. I so mean, this project is sort of like a revision. I mean, there are lots of people involved in it, and yeah. it's a kind of revision of figurative painting in which <laughs> a lot of like you know uh, queer people sort of like. Attacking their, <laughs> right, right. attacking their heroes, yeah. and uh, well, not attacking, but maybe like talking to them in yeah. a way, uh, and expanding on 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 their vision. You know, for instance, we were so used to this like heterosexual way of looking at things that like it's okay for Picasso to have tons and tons and tons of like pictures of women in all kinds of splayed positions, and also you know women in vulnerable situations where they're sort of like crying but you know oh they're hurt right. <laughs> and the artist is just very indifferently looking like he's unable to still um you know they're still encapsulated within this bracket of woman you right know? and and um and i i, I love because so so like i mean i'm not trying to be cleverer than no i have but the, like I, I mean but you know but i think that that's a, that's a great idea, but it needs to be ex- like we live in an age that requires it to be expanded, right. um, yeah, and, and be more a- inclusive, and um, and that there's so many more interesting ways of looking at people right. now. Um, now that we have a new um, inclusive point of view, right? Um, that there's a lot of revision to be done in everything. Yeah, and it's exciting when you know, that you engage that past visual vocabulary, mm-hmm. but then insert, you know, whatever it is. Like, even like you were saying, like these sort of personal moments become like a very large statement when it's kind of in communication with, you know, norms or like old ways of seeing, right. you know, and that that sort of triangulation between those things become really interesting. Right. So like in a post 9-11 world, like if I, you know, if I was crossing a border whenever, like, like, going through immigration mm-hmm. I felt like and I've done some paintings about this too like it was a kind of encounter that didn't really um, um, end when it actually ended because it sort of like deals in cliches like the language of cliches has to be used by the person mm-hmm. uh, manning the border to um, understand whether he should let you in or not right. <laughs> like, and it's his job so like but um, it has to be you know, very. Uh, they don't know who you are. Right. Like, if you're an immigrant, like, so they have to use very facile, like, signs oh, <laughs> to you, figure you out. Have you uh, Have you read Talking with Strangers? No. Malcolm Gladwell's new book. No, I it's haven't. explicitly about what you're talking about. Oh wow! So it's all he, about how we're interested in looking at the paintings. There are lots of them. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but it's this kind of like idea of the self-portrait imagined through the kind of critical view yeah. of someone who is who's a gatekeeper basically mm-hmm. and um and um so there are many kind of questions that can be funny that arise when that happens it's like is it you know like you know i'm asking questions about myself through his eyes and i'm just like is he you know is he going to be like you know a conservative muslim type or like is he is you know um 
I ask myself, should I act like harmless or more queer? <laughs> or like, is that person like, you know, what if they're homophobic? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What if they like, you know, they're like not a great person? <laughs> you yeah. know? So, um, so I feel like it's a two way sussing out because like I, within a few sentences, you have to like really figure out who the other person might be. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, so that I feel like whenever I go through that on either side of the border, even when I'm going like to like across to another country, it's, um, I feel like for a couple of hours after that, I really know, uh, like a reduction of myself mm-hmm. like and it's 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 kind of crazy like i don't i don't know i feel clearer but i but it is a reduction it's not really something to hold on to i guess but i feel like i i have a very good idea of how the world works for a couple right. of hours and right. then i go back to like you know, <laughs> being complex and all yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I know what you mean completely. Yeah, and I think there's something intrinsic too of like, you know, when you, I just recently went with my family to Canada. Yeah. And you know, when you hand them your ID or your passport, right. you're just that, like you're kind of distilled down to this set of details. Right. You know, and As do you pass be. it or do you not right. pass it or whatever. Right. And, but it feels weird. It does feel weird. It's just like, it's, there's no other way to do it. Like there's like I mean there is no more not a more humane way to do it. I guess like what I'm trying to say is that I'm not in talking about these things. I'm not criticizing the process so much because those people are doing the job that they're supposed to do. And sometimes it goes very wrong. And oh my you god, know. you have to read this book. It's exactly what you're talking about because it talks about how we as people have to kind of yeah. like try to read or believe people mm-hmm. because if we spent our whole life with every single person we met, kind of like you know being full attention yeah just or or not believing them and then digging deep and like really then you would never get anything done like the society wouldn't work yeah so it's this weird kind of like we have to do it yeah but it has pit major pitfalls occasionally you know and that's through ignorance or when those kind of like you know those signs or signals are misread and then that becomes a huge problem it's an emotionally exhausting i think job more for the actual person in charge yeah. than the traveler. But right. like, um, I mean, at the end of a long travel, it is also uh, exactly. emotionally yeah. involved. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, kind of interview to go through. Um, and it's not, I mean, in my experience, it's not always been like tedious. Sometimes it's just like one time right. someone said to me, welcome home. <laughs> and I felt like, I was going to cry because <laughs> it happens like weirdly. Like I feel like in urban settings, if yeah. you like some, I, well, at least to me, like if, if there's a kindness kind of shown by a stranger, it's very moving, yeah. <laughs> disproportionately moving. Right. Right. It shouldn't be that moving, yeah. but it is. Yeah. It's like, wow, you see me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And you know what I was thinking is another complication. That whole idea of the gatekeeper thing is. Yeah that in society with that phenomenon, but then also in the art world mm-hmm. of like the gallery or the, the system of how things are seen, that right. kind of gatekeeping, you know, oh, yeah. and like fitting different people because it's supposed to be more inclusive or more diverse or whatever. But then, you know, fitting certain people in certain roles within like, Oh, this is, I'll show this artist who deals with these issues. Right. And you can see them kind of prepackaging their inventory you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, like, I've been finding oh, the I need, thing for I, a, I need for a, a gay artist who's talking about figurative work. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. like, yeah. I mean, to, that is pretty um, diminishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I, that's something that you know I I fight against as well, and it can be fought against. But yeah. that is the prerogative of the system to try to like to try to make it easier for itself to like. Right just like hashtag things and then um, create kind of curate shows based on based on um, like a smorgasbord of like social issues that it wants to like attach itself to yeah or like that are hard or whatever <laughs> it's hard though right it's it's just so because in a way you have to engage in the it's that's like life you always have to engage in the system of things 
or else it devolves to chaos. But then it's, there's always these problems with the system that you constantly like have to tinker with. Delicate, like, interpretive dance. Yeah. <laughs> like, you have to have with the system in which, like, you move along with it and, like, if it, like, stirs you too much and you kick it a little bit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then you move along. Like, it's just, it's like a negotiation that is goes on and on. Yeah. It doesn't, like, it, does, it doesn't end. Right. Because it's all nuance. It's all, no, nothing is black and white, right? Yeah. So it, it's this endless adjustment to things. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Sometimes it's better and sometimes it, I think there's a way, I mean, especially like within the bureaucracy of the art world, I think I, there's a, I think, well, personally, I just, I feel like I don't, I'm not an egotistical person. And so I, I make sure that I'm kind to everyone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like that I have, that I work with. Yeah. And that seems to work for me. <laughs> no, I think that's that's a good because I, like it's uh, you know, people can be like you know they can be like divas and like yeah that's and not good kind of, and it's not uh, I mean I admire people who can pull that off <laughs> I'm just not one of them. Do you admire it? Yeah, because I I can't do it. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, right. Not because you enjoy that behavior, but you're like, oh wow, you can do that. Yeah, I mean, and people can. Uh, you know, can be heroes to themselves for doing it, and you know. And but I think at the end of the, at the end of the day, they're they're going to reap what they sow. I mean, if you put probably, out that energy, yeah, you're going to have that stuff come back to you. I think it's generally like I feel probably. like just being nice to people usually is a good thing and works out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> being easy to work with. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I can be, it's, I, like I can be starstruck by someone who yeah. can who can who can uh, uh, who can who can do things like that, but I mean, and only really because I um, <laughs> I could never be a star myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, what happens if you get to that point to where you're, you know, you're like, oh my god, I'm being a diva here. <laughs> Would you let it happen? No, I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so. <laughs> right, it's not within you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, I think the difficult thing too is you're. Your work looks very kind, you know? I feel like your work oh, is giving. You. It's not, like, cut off or... No, I mean, that's a pretty big, you know... Thank you very much. That's a huge compliment. <laughs> I feel, I, uh, honestly, it, it feels very, like, warm and inviting and kind of, like... There's it a, comes from a place of warmth, for sure. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like I'm summoning friends and happiness right. and most of the times when I'm painting. Like, yeah. that's what I... I feel like I'm communing with my friends on an, uh, another level. Right. Like I'm speaking to them. Um, and like I said, I think before we started recording, mm-hmm. um, it's a way of talking to my friends, weirdly, like yeah. the, the painting. Right. Um, and um, and it's easier when I convince myself that it's a way of talking to my friends, then it comes more naturally and fluidly. Um and um, sorry, I forgot what we were where we were going with this. It was just that kind of relationship, but that you're not going to turn into a diva. <laughs> oh no, we were yeah, we were talking about warmth, and uh, yeah, it definitely comes from. That's why initially I thought that you know the work was sort of silly because like I thought like a lot of contemporary art came from a very cutting cold place. Oh yeah, like it's <laughs> I thought be, it was evil, right? Like, you know, <laughs> and so. <laughs> Vito Conchi didn't rub you the right way, you know. It's like, yeah. it's kind of like what, yeah. So I um, that's why I, I thought it was just all about formal things. Yeah, it's like there's no warmth in that, and so why would anyone want to look at this? And uh, so that this is a pleasant surprise, but but yeah. So the it comes from a very warm and friendly impulse. Yeah, no, I think it comes across. I mean, in the studio, uh, you're not doing podcasts, so but is is it all dance music? Or what no. do you like to listen to? I mean, oh, what's no, your... I, I'm a huge soundtrack fan. Yeah, yeah. So I like these days. I'm addicted to the Shining, the 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 Shining soundtrack. You know that the old one or the yeah, is the there old, a reboot? Oh no, the old. Aren't one. they doing a new one? I it's, heard it looks so bad. I'm not even. It looks so bad. It's just like, like you know, it's old enough. It's time to make some money now. They ca- they can't not remake a movie. It's yeah. crazy. They yeah. ran out of ideas. <laughs> We're just gonna start remaking paintings now. <laughs> but. Um, that it's a lovely kind of almost 
uh, a piece that sounds like Bach. It Who begins. did it? Who did the Shining Thunder? I, I forget. Uh, that's the, actually the only um, instrumental bit from um, the soundtrack on uh-huh. um, Spotify. And it sounds like a dark Bach piece. And uh, it, um, <laughs> it it sort of plays when in the beginning of the film when the car is uh, just driving around the mountains yeah. to the hotel i'm gonna check it out <laughs> it's so it's so cool that movie is um and then also weirdly the psycho soundtrack is very good for painting oh yeah <laughs> it's very good do you know who did that one like oh, i feel like I, uh, I i can feel the like i can uh, remember the vibe of the sounds of that movie yeah it's very painterly i mean especially if you're working fast yeah <laughs> it's, it like creates a lot of panache while you're working nice um so you're building a mood that mood that was too cumbersome to have to like physically build in a studio with yeah. sound you can kind of create that oh, yeah. in a way yeah. which is interesting it's like you're painting the the background with audio for the setting of when the painting's happening also like other horror movies too like um once again i don't remember the name of the composer but the others it's a very good soundtrack i've never seen that oh it's a, it's a it's a is that newish or old it's it's old it's about a decade it's about 15 years old what am okay. i talking about uh, it's a kind of stagey, almost theatrical-looking, like a Nicole Kidman horror movie. <laughs> oh, I've never seen it, uh, but it's it's a pretty creative idea mm-hmm. for a um, for a ghost movie, for yeah. a ghost story, um, and Just, it has uh, employs the traditional kind of tropes of 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 ghost stories. I, I absolutely love horror because I think it really kind of. Um, brings you closer to your most basic self yeah. for like an hour. And right. It's a great relief to get away from everything else, and um, and it's also romantic because yeah, it, it's are. about death. That's true. <laughs> so. I, I lo- I've watched a lot of like older ones. You mm. know, like I used I, I love Hitchcock and mm. like those. You know, like As, Rope. I think is a genius movie. Yeah, Rope is good. Rear Window. And Rare they're not Windows horror, I guess, but they are dark. Rear Window is pretty scary. It's pretty dark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, have you seen the original Suspiria? No, I haven't. That you got to see that. Yeah, one. yeah. It's a. It's like an Italian. Like I think it's Italian. This is crazy. I was. Horrible. I was gonna watch the new Suspiria last night. <laughs> this oh, is such a coincidence that you were joking. I would about go this. for the original. Yeah. I haven't seen the new one, but okay. I've just heard that you know it's not quite as good as the original one. Okay, I'll check that out. <laughs> but yeah, like I don't watch horror movies anymore. I feel like I'm too. Some of them are bad. I'm too stressed. But my wife loves the, uh, there's these Thai horror movies that are supposedly so scary, like the scariest things in the world. I think, I think they might be Korean. Or maybe yeah, Thai. there's some, yeah, she's, yeah, she watches a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. Where she's like actually <laughs> hiding I still love during watching the movie. Like, that doesn't look like a pleasurable experience, but mm. yeah, I can't do it anymore. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that reminds me, I definitely want to do, like, more paintings about, like, telling ghost stories. Yeah. Um, And there are lots of, like, 19th century, like, Russian short stories and novels about that kind of stuff. Um, Like, you know, what telling of how that could sort of, like, I think it's a sense of community, too. When you tell a story like that, everyone sort of gathers around a fire or something. You create uh, that like anticipation and that. Yeah, so it's just like day. weirdly like the world becomes like dark all around you, and it's just like six people. Yeah, and they all have to sort of like watch out for each other for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I yeah, it's this like emergency community. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that sounds like a good kind of audio environment to have while working. Yeah. Especially, it seems to fit. I always feel like when I'm listening to music, it kind of fits what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. It just makes me feel, I don't know, like like that kind of feeling of like, yeah, I'm on the right track. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like this is hitting or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, is, I also listen to a lot of, I've been listening to a lot of Dame Impala. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good, like, set of albums. Yeah. Yeah, that one, is it Currents? Is that what it's called? The one with the pinball on the front? That's a good record. Yes, Just make yes, it happen. I yeah, think is yeah, 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 yeah. Let it happen. Yeah, let it happen. Yeah, yeah that's a really yeah, good. That's a that's a very cool song and album. Yeah, yeah, yeah that guy's really good. Cool. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to share some music tips. Please do. Um, so, for people who want to see your work, what's the best way? So um, you do social media. 
I do social media. Instagram um, actually changed my life. Actually, last year, I think I just—I never thought that I have, would have that kind of engagement with yeah. Americans. And um, <laughs> <laughs> right, it's great, amazing. Um, so thank you, Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so I have a, a solo show in Delhi that's coming up, but that's far away. Mm-hmm. But next year, I have a show at the Whitney. Um, nice. And in March. Um, that's great how um, much work are you do you know how much you're gonna do for it or how much space that you have to cover so it's in the gallery downstairs mm-hmm. um it's called it's called something i don't remember what and it's a 30 by 30 uh, foot gallery space yeah. that's exciting and, uh, that is i'm, I'm so <laughs> excited and um so uh, half of the show is going to be so it's like a little bit retrospective-ish so like they're going to have like works from two years ago they're sort of like in the process of collecting that yeah and then i'm gonna do maybe like 10 to 12 new paintings until march and see if they like anything (laughs) that's great yeah do you feel now when making that work are you going to be a little more like or are you just gonna let it fly you can't help it right you can't help it be a little oh yeah i've been fighting it yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh so it helps to be tired or hungover. Yeah. <laughs> Takes I the edge off. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. That's a good strategy. Like, oh, yeah. Screw that. Yeah, I'm fine. just going to have fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's so exciting. So that's going to be next year. Yes. So it's opening on March 20th. Nice. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming over. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great to meet and talk. and Yeah. This was really fun. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. The introduction was done by Michael Lovett. You can check out his music. He's playing in the band Metronomy and his own solo project called Nazca Lines. Thanks also to Lullatone for the intro-outro music you're hearing now. Lullatone is based out of Nagoya, Japan, and you can find more of their music on their website. Thanks to Golden Paints for being a longtime sponsor of the podcast. Make sure you check out Golden Paints. They make the best acrylics. They make Williamsburg oil paints, core watercolors, matte medium, gesso, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's great painting supplies for your painting needs. Really high quality. I use it all the time. I don't use anything else. Many thanks to Salman Tor. Make sure you check out his work on his website, his Instagram feed, and also next year at the Whitney Museum. Thank you so much to all the listeners. Thank you for all the messages that you've sent in supporting the podcast. Thanks for spreading the word to friends and people that you know who are interested in art and might want to hear the stories of these artists. And thank you so much for rating, reviewing, and supporting the podcast on iTunes and other platforms. It really means a lot. Thank you again.